Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. The deer buried its muzzle in a patch of wild hostas while the boy watched through a fern. The hostas' giant green leaves rustled as the deer, a doe, chomped at their stems. It pulled away, undulating its jaw, looking totally oblivious until the boy tossed a rock in its direction. The rock crashed into the plants at the deer's feet, startling it. Its white tail pointed upward and its head turned briskly from side to side. The boy threw another rock, which again crashed into the hostas. The doe took a step back and continued scanning the area, but did not run. Come on, stupid, the boy mumbled. He searched the forest floor for another rock, but none were within reach of his crouched position in the patch of ferns. The sun felt hot against his naked back and neck. He was sweating profusely. It was a wonder the deer hadn't picked up his scent and fled of its own accord. The boy gave up on rock hunting and put two fingers to his lips. He drew in a short breath and held it. Before he could whistle, a dark shape burst out from the grove of pine trees behind the deer. The boy tucked his head between his elbows and made himself small. The deer made a short, yelping sound, which was punctuated by a bony crunch. Its hooves kicked pathetically at the hostile leaves it would have eaten. Then, all sounds of struggle ceased. Lyle. The angry voice of the boy's father yelled in his direction. His booming voice sounded so foreign in the forest which had been so quiet a second before. The boy stood, brushed the dirt from the knees of his buckskin pants, and looked across the vegetation at his father. If breaking the deer's neck had strained him in any way, Troy Lowe gave no sign. His skin remained clear and dry, even though he was wearing a long-sleeved flannel like a lumberjack. His even breaths came steadily, and he looked at his son Lyle with a cold, disappointed gaze. I know what you were doing, Troy said. Do we need to have this conversation again? Lyle looked at his shoes. Troy grunted. That's what I thought. Now, since you're trying to make things difficult for us, I think I'd better teach you just how difficult they can be. Troy prodded the deer's head with the toe of his worn, muddy boot. You're going to bring this animal home, boy. I want it back at the cabin in one piece before supper. If I have to find something else to eat, it won't be good for either of us. I promise you that. Yes, sir, Lyle muttered. You're going to have to speak up, son. I said yes, sir, Lyle shouted. He accidentally injected a dose of spite into this exclamation. He winced as he waited for his father to react to this disrespectful outburst. But Troy Lowe smiled his trademark toothy grin, clucked his tongue, 
and walked back into the pine grove. Somehow, this blasé reaction felt worse. Lyle approached the dead deer with its eyes still open, one pointed upward, reflecting the midday sun. He lifted its head, and his heart sank. He could barely lift the doe's head and neck alone. How was he going to get the whole thing back to the cabin? The way back was mostly downhill, albeit at a shallow grade, but it was at least a quarter of a mile, maybe even a third. And the deer must have weighed as much, if not more, than an 11-year-old boy. The already brutal task would be unbearable in the humid heat of August. Lyle craved a cool drink of water, just a sip before he started dragging the deer home. But the stream ran near the cabin, and he dared not go back for a drink without bringing the animal with him. He dared not see his father again before his punishment was complete. It hadn't always been this way. His father had been a kind, understanding man once. This demanding, hard-nosed version of Troy, who gave no quarter nor comfort, had evolved after the death of Lyle's mother. These days, Lyle missed his old father even more than he missed his dead mom. If his old dad was still around, things probably wouldn't be quite so bad. Lyle's last memory of his mother Isla was of her tucking him in for bed. He was six, and his comforter had all the Avengers on it. Isla pulled the Hulk's mighty fist up under Lyle's chin and tucked Black Widow and Iron Man under his arms on either side. She gave him a kiss on the forehead and said goodnight. She didn't impart any final wisdom or issue a final I love you to haunt Lyle's memories. It had been an ordinary night. Lyle couldn't possibly have known it would be the last ordinary night of his childhood. Or maybe his life. This memory did not end with Isla closing Lyle's bedroom door. After the latch clicked into place, Lyle remembered hearing the doorbell. Someone, probably Troy, answered it. Lyle remembered wondering who might be coming by so late. There were voices, which started out stiff and steadily grew louder and more animated. Lyle remembered hearing sounds inside the house next. Lots of bumping and crashing and big men's grunts. At one point, a radio, he thought it sounded like a walkie-talkie, squawked. Lyle heard his mother yelling, You don't understand what he is. You have to leave him alone. She sounded terrified. Over and over, she yelled, Don't provoke him. Lyle had pulled the Hulk's fist over his head. As he closed his eyes and sat beside the dead deer, Lyle could remember hearing the howl, the gunshots, his mother's screaming, as clearly as if she was screaming at him from the pine grove now. Lyle opened his eyes. His two met the deer's upturned one just as a fly landed on it. The fly tried to crawl into the deer's brain through the corner of its wide black eye. Lyle shooed it away. How was he going to move this thing? The boy wondered, not for the first time, what would happen if he ignored his father's orders. What if he disobeyed him? For one thing, Another animal, or perhaps vultures, would surely come along to eat the deer. The forest didn't let anything go to waste. And what? Troy would be angry with him for a while? So what? Lyle knew his father to be nothing but angry these days. The worst thing Troy could do would be to cause Lyle physical harm. And for practical reasons, Troy wouldn't allow himself to hurt Lyle with anything but words. The man who had just killed a deer with his bare hands could never touch his son. 
This was Lyle's only saving grace. Troy Lowe had once been warm and cheerful, playful, often when it was not totally appropriate to be so. Lyle fondly remembered eating lunch at a restaurant with both of his parents. It was the type of restaurant that served three meals a day, but only allowed patrons to order certain foods at certain times. In this case, Lyle, who was only five years old at the time, saw pictures of pancakes in the menu, but the Lowe family were there during lunch hours. Before either of his parents had a chance to tactfully explain the rules, their waiter appeared at the table side. "'What can I get started for everybody?' he asked. "'I want pancakes!' Lyle immediately shouted, hopping joyously on his butt in the booth. "'I'm sorry, we stopped serving pancakes at eleven, the waiter said with fake disappointment. "'Oh, you ran out of the stuff?' Lyle asked. "'Well, no, we have the stuff, but... "'Well, if you have the stuff, why can't you make some pancakes?' "'This question came from Troy, only he didn't sound like Troy. "'He sounded like a five-year-old boy with the voice of a grown man. "'Isla, who was sitting next to Lyle, across from Troy, "'gave her husband a look that said, "'Do not encourage him.' "'But Troy kept up the act. "'They should make pancakes if they have the stuff to make pancakes,' "'he said with a wink at his son.' I'm sorry, sir, but breakfast ended at 11, and we've already turned over the kitchen for lunch. Troy's act had given Lyle hope. He gave his father a pleading look and whispered, But I really want pancakes. Troy stood so abruptly he made Isla jump. She often jumped if Troy moved too quickly. Troy raised one finger in the air like an explorer, announcing a great discovery. If we cannot get pancakes here, he belted, Then we will go somewhere they have pancake stuff and the willingness to make them. Lyle clapped. Isla blushed. She gave the waiter an apologetic smile, but he wasn't looking at her. He was looking over his shoulder at the wall between the dining area and the kitchen. He said, Please, sir, sit down. I will go ask the kitchen if we can make an exception. The waiter shuffled away as Troy and Lyle cheered and Isla looked longingly at the exit. Troy's antics had earned him a small audience a few of which now joined the celebration with small claps and smiles. Someone across the restaurant said, I mean, it's only 11.30 for crying out loud. Lyle got his pancakes, but he didn't get to eat them in the restaurant while they were still warm. Just as the food arrived, the host sat a blind woman at a table near the Lowe's. She had a seeing eye dog, which immediately began growling at Troy. The host tried moving the woman to another table further away, but the dog strained against its harness and bared its teeth at Troy. Lyle sometimes forgot about how dogs used to act around his father, back when they were around other people. The Lowe's had to pack their meals into to-go boxes and take them home. I wish I had a to-go box to carry you in, Lyle thought as he stared into the deer's vacant eye. The eye reflected the cloudless sky above, There was a shape, hazily visible, on the eye's drying surface. The moon. Lyle looked up. Yes, the moon was still hanging low in the sky like a child naughtily refusing to go to bed. It was nearly full. Seeing the almost full moon dispelled any notion Lyle had of disobeying his father. When the full moon was close, Troy Lowe was not someone you wanted to cross. Lyle abandoned the deer's side and went deeper into the woods. He needed to create something he could use to drag the deer along, and he had an idea. Living in the woods for over four years, he had observed many useful things. 
One was the way certain trees seemed to shed their bark. Maybe they were sick or dying. Lyle had no way of knowing. But what he could see was that some of these trees' bark separated from their trunks. If he tugged in the right places, he could break off a large section of bark to use as a sled of sorts. Lyle found one of these trees and broke off a patch of bark nearly as long as he was tall. Dragging the bark behind him, he returned to the deer. A horde of flies were already hovering around the corpse. A couple dozen were crawling around its upturned eye and slightly ajar mouth. Lyle shooed them away, but he knew he couldn't get rid of them all or keep them away for long. No matter. His father never minded a few flies here and there. They couldn't be avoided. Besides, Lyle had once watched his dad eat a blackbird which had probably been killed and dropped by a hawk. That creature had been injured badly enough to where you could see tiny bones through wounds on its back. It had been festering with fly larvae. Yet Troy Lowe had plucked off its feathers, held it by the legs, and eaten it like a fried chicken drumstick. He wasn't picky. With great effort, Lyle wedged the sturdy section of tree bark beneath the doe's limp body. He needed something to pull the animal along with. Lyle removed the long strap of snake leather he used as a belt and wrapped it around the deer's muscled neck. He tugged at the belt until the loop cinched under the deer's jaw, then put his back to the animal and started pulling. It wasn't perfect. Every hundred yards or so, Lyle had to recenter the bark beneath the animal. But they were moving. Soon the cabin was in view. When he saw it, Lyle was struck by the memory of when he had first come to the cabin with his father four and a half years ago. It had been winter then, and the ground had been coated with weeks-old snow. Troy had put young Lyle on a sled and dragged him from the car they had abandoned by the road to the secluded cabin. The first time Lyle had seen the place that would become his home, he had been where the deer was now, and his mind had been similarly vacant. He had cried that night while his father went off to dispose of the car, and when Troy returned, he had wiped Lyle's tears for what he told him was the last time. From now on, you need to be a big boy. These woods won't let you act like a child anymore, Troy had said. Is mom coming soon? Lyle had asked, already knowing the answer with absolute certainty. He wasn't really sure why, he had asked. Looking back, he guessed he just needed to hear his father say it. Lyle. For a moment, it looked like Troy himself might cry. But he composed himself, looked his son directly in the eyes, and as if telling him one plus one is two, Troy said, Your mom is dead. Because you killed her, Lyle thought. But he had kept that thought to himself. He finally dragged the deer up to their cabin's front door and knocked, twice high, twice low, once directly in the center. This was the Lowe's secret signal. Troy always kept the cabin locked in case some curious wanderer were to stumble upon it while they were out. To Lyle, this seemed impossible. He hadn't seen another human being since they had arrived here that snowy night in the past. Troy opened the door and creased his eyes in the ghost of a smile when he saw, not Lyle, the deer. Lyle stepped aside to allow his father to come through the door. Troy hoisted the doe over his shoulder as if to show Lyle just how easy it would have been for him to carry it home. He took the deer inside, and Lyle followed. He was exhausted. Lyle plopped down into one of the two uneven chairs inside. He remembered the day he and his father had made those chairs, 
A few months had passed by then. It was late spring, and Lyle had turned seven. He was starting to feel like a man. As his father cut a board for the seat with his long saw, Lyle had asked him, Why wasn't there any furniture here already? Without raising his eyes, Troy had replied, I didn't think we'd ever have to come here. I guess maybe I hoped it would never come to this. So why did we come here then? Lyle had asked. Now Troy did look up. He answered his son with cold eyes, which said, Don't you dare make me talk about that. You know why. Instead of pushing further and likely ending up in trouble, Lyle asked, Where'd the cabin come from anyway? Troy looked back down, but his posture seemed to soften. Apparently, he was much more comfortable discussing this new topic. My grandfather, who you never met, built it when your grandfather was about your age. Grandpa Carl? Lyle asked. He vaguely remembered the man. He'd had a bushy beard that went all the way up the sides of his head and hid his lips and teeth except for when he laughed. When Grandpa Carl had laughed, Lyle remembered feeling a little afraid of him. Something about his laugh was a little too... animal-sounding. Yep, Grandpa Carl's dad built this place, but they never put anything in it. They never had to use it. How come? Lyle asked. But Troy didn't answer. His silence signaled the end of the conversation. The unintended rocking chairs were the only furniture inside the cabin, unless you counted the tree stump which served as their dining table and counter. Its ringed surface was stained a deep maroon from all the bloody meals which had been prepared and consumed upon it. This stump table is where Troy let the deer flop down. Its head crunched as it struck the rough bark around the stump's side. Why don't you get a fire going? I'll bring out a portion to cook for you, Troy said. He grabbed a big knife from the pile of tools laying in the furthest corner of the cabin next to their bedrolls. Lyle got up from the chair, went back outside, and shuffled over to the fire pit. His legs felt like heavy bags of water. His lower back was stiff. In the morning, he knew it would be sore from the continuous stress of dragging that deer down to the cabin. With a small pile of kindling and the Bic lighter he always kept in his pocket, Lyle started a fire. He shook the Bic near his ear and decided he would need to replace it very soon. When they had first arrived at the cabin, Troy had brought a backpack with about a hundred lighters in it that had been stowed in the trunk of his car. They were down to maybe thirty or so left now. One of the branches Lyle tossed on the fire must have still had some moisture in it. It popped and sizzled, and the sound sent Lyle back four and a half years to the night he and his father left their old home and his mother forever. When Lyle had heard his mother's screams and the gunshots, he had done what his parents taught him to and slipped underneath his bed. There were loud sounds coming from all over the house. Crashing, banging, smashing, bodies and things getting broken, thrown and shattered indiscriminately. Once Lyle was under his bed, he pulled the two short ropes which dangled there. Each rope was attached to a sliding piece of wood, which, when slid away, dropped heavy boards down on the two exposed sides of Lyle's bed, which hid and trapped him. Under his bed, everything was pitch dark. Lyle couldn't see a thing. On the other sides of the boards were mirrors, which ran the length and width of the bed. Lyle would not understand the purpose of these until later, long after he and his father moved to the cabin. He remembered the crashing sounds moving closer. 
He remembered the aggressive panting which swelled and grew with them. He remembered the suffocating stench of rot which filled his mouth and nose when his bedroom door burst open after the other sounds ceased. He waited there, under his bed, while that which had entered his room sniffed around it. Every few seconds, it made a startled, whimpering sound, and finally, it left. But hiding under his bed was not the memory which the popping fire prompted. That memory was the prequel to the one which had traumatized young Lyle the most. Lyle couldn't be sure how much time passed after the prowling thing left his room because, unbelievably, he fell asleep. Stress had taxed his mind and body beyond what it could bear. What woke him, made him open his eyes in that still blackness, was his father's voice. It sounded sad and angry, but in a ratio Lyle had never heard before. And worse, his father sounded, Lyle didn't know how else to think of it, sick. It sounded like his father was vomiting his terrible cries out. Lyle wondered whether he should stay under the bed or go see if his dad was okay. He had never heard a person make those sounds before. Troy didn't sound dangerous, though. It was the dangerous sounds Lyle was supposed to be wary of. Suddenly, flat footsteps were pounding in his direction. The longer board slid upward, and Lyle winced against the intrusive glow of his nightlight. Lyle? Lyle? Oh, thank God, Troy said. Hey, buddy, we gotta go. We gotta go right now. His voice was wet with grief. Why? Lyle asked, sounding every bit like the innocent child he was. I can't... I can't explain it right now, said Troy. Lyle heard police sirens in the distance, growing closer. We just have to go. Lyle let his father slide him out from under the bed and carry him across the house. They went to the back door. Lyle was too scared to ask why, but a stream of blood leaking through the doorway from the entryway into the kitchen gave him a hint. It's almost the full moon, Lyle noted as they ate. Troy had cooked slivers of the deer's back over the fire. There wasn't any seasoning to spice the simple meal up, but Lyle enjoyed every bite nonetheless. It was rare that his father caught something big enough to share. Most of Lyle's meals were comprised of mulberries and raspberries he harvested around the forest. Every once in a while, he would be lucky enough to feast on a potato from their meager garden. Tomorrow, Troy nodded, referring to the full moon. Really? I saw it earlier today and it looked like it would be full tonight, Lyle said. Son, do you think I would lose track of the moon after all this time? It's tomorrow. Lyle looked down, ashamed. He said, Well, I only got a quick look at it in the daylight. I guess I could have been wrong. You were, said Troy. He pulled back the furry skin from the deer leg he held balanced on his knees. A little blood dripped onto his jeans and joined the rest of the dark stains there. Troy pulled at its soft muscles a little with his fingers, raised the leg to his mouth, and took a bite. They spent the rest of the meal in silence. Lyle usually slept well after such a high-protein meal, but he had accidentally left a piece of himself down memory lane, and as it tried to return to him, it was followed by the nightmares in his past. The first nightmare was a continuation of the memory of the funny night at the restaurant. Lyle was sitting in the middle seat of their minivan, holding his styrofoam clam full of pancakes on his knees. 
He could smell the sugary butteriness of the coma-inducing meal. Can I please eat just one pancake now? He asked his parents. You know the rule, Troy had replied absently. No eating in the van. Oh, come on, he's probably starving, Isla had scolded in response. This conversation had actually happened. The next thing really happened too. Lyle thanked his mother and opened his to-go box. Then the nightmare took over with its own version of events. The pancakes were not pancakes. They were faces. Flat, mangled, bloody faces. Some with eyeballs resting limply in the eye holes. The pan faces burst into flames as soon as they were exposed to the open air. The whole van went up in flames, spontaneously combusting. Lyle looked up at his parents, unsure what had happened or what he should do now. Troy was staring back at him, not paying any attention to the rolling road before them. He said, This is the way it has to be, son. This is the only way it can be. Isla Lowe was already dead. Her shoulders and what remained of her head were slumped on the dashboard. Lyle fell. He fell forever, into and out of eternity. He fell back into the timeline of his past, just in time for the second nightmare. His father was carrying him through the yard. He kept having to pull himself back up as he slipped down his dad's thigh. He hadn't been carried like this in years. When they came around the front of the house, there were two police cars parked, one in the driveway and one in the front yard, with their doors open and lights flashing. There was no sign of any police officers outside. The distant sirens were close now very close, and getting closer. Troy shoved Lyle into the back seat of his sedan, which he normally reserved for solo trips to the office and so forth, and told him to buckle in. There's just one thing I gotta do, but you need to be ready as soon as I come back, Troy had said. All of this really happened. Lyle waited for his father, but the sirens were getting louder, and he was scared. Where was his mother? Was she why his father had run back inside? Lyle thought Troy was taking a long time and began to worry that something had gone wrong. He summoned all of his bravery, unbuckled his seatbelt, and slipped out of the car. He ran up to the front door, which his father had disappeared through minutes before. He pushed the unlatched door open and saw directly into the kitchen. The entire floor looked like a splash pool of blood. There were two police uniforms filled by lumpy shapes which roughly resembled human beings. One lay flat on the floor, the other propped against the cabinets. The one on the cabinets did not have a head. The one on the floor was missing an arm. All of this really happened too. Lyle could smell something sweet but stinging. He wondered innocently if that's what blood smelled like when there was lots of it in one place. He took a few steps into the house, still worried about his parents he had an unconquerable feeling that he wasn't supposed to be here, and this feeling kept him from calling out for his mom or dad. A few steps closer to the kitchen, Lyle saw a familiar shape. It was delicate and pale. In the dream, various shades of red dominated the color scheme, but even so, Isla's fingernails glowed the brilliant blue they had been painted the night she died. Lyle saw her hand, then her bloody arm, He stopped where he stood, but tilted his head ever so slightly. He didn't want to see the rest of her, but he had to. He had to make sure she was really dead. 
His mother, unlike the cop sitting by the cabinets, still had her head, but there wasn't very much left of her head to have. It had been caved in from the side. Her clothes were bloody too, and not just from soaking up the other's blood or the blood from her head wound. The clothes had been ripped and slashed in various places. Had Lyle looked any longer, he would have been able to see the trickling wounds which covered Isla's corpse. All of this really happened. Lyle was whisked away to the third nightmare. It began with his father screaming at him, but different from the true memory. His father was a wolf. He stood on two legs like a man, but every inch of his body was covered in matted hair. Blood dyed his teeth as he snarled and screamed. The whites of his eyes matched the fangs below them. He was screaming, I told you to stay in the car. I told you to stay in the car. I told you to stay in the car. There was nothing around them. They were standing in the void. Lyle whimpered, I'm sorry. Then the house returned. It was cartoonishly large and everything seemed far away. Lyle watched his father in his normal human form drop a red plastic can with a long neck. The can thumped like a drum as it bounced slowly once, twice, three times. All Lyle could see was the can until it went still, laying flat on its side. Then his vision zoomed out again. He saw Troy, so far away, with a glowing match in his hand. Dad, no! Lyle shouted, but the match was already falling. It fell as slowly as the gas can had bounced. Lyle looked sideways at his mother's pale, painted hand, then felt two strong hands on his shoulders. In a blur of orange, wearing a cape of billowing heat, Lyle escaped the house, or rather, was pushed out by his father. Get in the car, Troy yelled. One of the incoming police cars had arrived. It skidded into the front yard, tearing up grass and spraying dirt. An officer got out and raised his gun at Troy. Troy's hands went up. Behind the officer's back, the house exploded. Lyle woke up. His father lay beside him in the cabin on his own bedroll. The windows were outlined in a luminous glow which leaked around the curtains. But it wasn't daylight. It was brilliant moonlight. Troy's throat made a gurgling sound, and Lyle sat up. In his sleep... Troy had tossed his blanket away. His naked back and neck glistened with sweat. It looked like a thousand ants were crawling on his father's skin. But Lyle knew what they really were. Hairs. Thousands of black hairs were sprouting along every millimeter of Troy Lowe's torso. Lyle had been right about the moon. It was full tonight, not tomorrow. Somehow, Troy really had lost track. Maybe he had simply been off a day, like when Lyle used to go to school thinking it was Thursday when it was actually Wednesday sometimes. Or perhaps his mind had been confused when he had allowed the brief flash of wolf into it before he attacked the deer. Or maybe he had just gotten careless, and in his pride could not admit his mistake. Whatever the reason for his father's error, Lyle needed to move. Now. He stood and stepped away from his bedroll as Troy's bones began to crackle. He went across the cabin to the only closet, the only hiding place. The guns Troy had taken out of the police cars the night they left the hull of their house rattled as Lyle tried to fit himself into the closet amongst them. His heart hammered in his chest. Normally, when the full moon came, Troy left right after dinner. 
He would run as far as he could to reduce his chances of stumbling upon the cabin after the turn, when the wolf had control. Lyle usually locked the door and stayed up all night listening for the telltale sounds of the wolf. He still had never seen his father's other form. He had never watched the change. The last time he had been this close to it, he had been hiding under his bed. The change had been brought about not by the full moon that time, but by his father's anger and stress. Lyle had convinced Troy to tell him the whole story of their final night as a complete family about a year ago. They had been sitting next to the fire. Troy didn't look at Lyle one time as he spoke, only gazed into the dancing flames. While your mom was putting you to bed, a couple of cops showed up, Troy had told him. They said someone reported abuse or neglect or something like that. About me? Lyle had asked. Yeah. But you guys never hurt me. At this, Troy expressed the closest thing to a smile Lyle had seen in a long time. But the flickering shadows made it look like a snarl. Of course not. And had the cops given us a chance, maybe talked with you or something, things would have probably gone different. So different. But instead, they launched right into accusations. They said somebody at the school told them you showed up tired all the time and sometimes didn't show up at all. That was just because of the moon, Lyle had interrupted. Troy's face distorted with anger, but not at his son, at himself and his condition. He continued without acknowledging Lyle's comment. There was a bunch of made-up stuff too, like bruises and cuts. But every kid who plays outside gets bruises. I said they were reaching. I knew the teachers never liked me and I couldn't blame them for that. Certain people, even though they don't really know what I am, can sense the other thing that's in me. I've found that especially people who work with or protect children are particularly sensitive to it. They have a sort of sixth sense around our kind. Troy had stopped abruptly here and given Lyle a searching look. His eyes were wide, like he had just caught himself saying something he shouldn't have. When Lyle showed nothing but eager anticipation for the rest of the story, Troy continued, Your teachers, your pediatrician, those people all looked at me like I was dirty all the time. And later on I thought about it, and I guess that's probably why the cops were so hostile that night. I'd guess they'd seen so many people with hidden darkness inside that they'd picked up on it right when I opened the door. But you weren't a bad guy, Lyle had said. Troy winced slightly at his son's use of the past tense, but continued, No, but people's guts tell them things that are hard to ignore. So the police made you turn? Lyle had asked. Troy then explained, That can happen sometimes. Certain situations or people can trigger the change without the full moon. I had to be careful what types of news programs I watched and things like that. I could usually sense it coming early enough to remove myself from whatever situation was causing it. But that night? I mean, what could I do? Slam the door in the cops' faces? So the change came, and it came fast. Too fast for your mom to realize what was happening until... Until it was too late. Thank God you acted quickly enough. The mirrors? Lyle asked. That's right. Those were your mom's idea, and we didn't know for certain that they would work. Her theory was that if I came looking for you in my other form, I would see myself in those mirrors. She thought that maybe if I saw my own reflection, it would wake something up. Some bit of human consciousness or something like that. It's hard to explain, but that's the best I can do. Lyle had said, I get it. 
And that's what happened when you came into my room that night? I don't know, Troy had replied regretfully. I don't remember anything until I woke up in the kitchen right next to... He cleared his throat. <clears throat> right next to your mom. Four and a half years had passed since that fateful night, and now Lyle was once again hiding from the beast inside his father. Only this time, there were no mirrors. They had never been able to find one out in the woods. Apparently, Troy had wanted to bring one or two from the house, but all had either been shattered or fixed to their mounts. The sirens had been getting too close, and he had to abandon the mirrors. Troy grunted on the other side of the door. The sounds of his bones restructuring made Lyle feel nauseous. He couldn't imagine how painful that must be, but Troy's anguished cries gave him a pretty good idea. One of these cries darkened into a guttural woof as it trailed off. Until then, Lyle had been scared, sure, maybe even terrified. But that sound sent his mind deeper into the terror, into a disassociated horror. The power behind that voice, the sheer volume and bass of the sound, shattered any illusion Lyle had of being protected by the closet door. He was going to die. He shrunk back, unable to retreat further. He folded into himself. One gun's barrel knocked against his head. It stung, but Lyle barely noticed. He couldn't keep his breathing quiet any longer. It came and went through his mouth audibly, faster and faster. The crackling and grunting outside the door grew increasingly more violent. Lyle shifted one foot and heard a shotgun shell rattle across the closet floor. That sound reminded him of an empty shell hitting the ground after being ejected from a freshly fired gun. And that led Lyle to the obvious solution. No, the closet would not protect him, but it was full of things that could. He remembered hearing the gunshots the night his mom died, and clearly they had done nothing to stop his father. But that night, Troy had been angry. The change came about quickly due to his rage and probably cost him half a decade of his life. This night, the change brought on by the moon was following its agonizingly conservative pace. What if, in mid-transition, the wolf was vulnerable? There was no time to dwell on it further. Lyle grabbed the gun that had knocked against his head out of the darkness. This one was a rifle, not a shotgun, but at point-blank range, it wouldn't matter. He burst out of the closet with the rifle tucked snug against his skinny boy's shoulder. He looked somewhat pathetic, like a child playing war, but there was nothing playful in his face. His face was steady and cold, void of all the emotions he forced away in order to aim the gun at his father's head. Troy's body had been covered with coarse hair up to his neck, but Lyle could still see bulging muscles rippling beneath his skin. Although his jaw protruded further than normal, Troy's face still resembled himself. Strangely, as the beginnings of a snout contorted his father's face, Lyle thought he saw his own resemblance there more than ever. Do, 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 do it, Troy growled. His human voice was garbled by the wolves, but Lyle still heard him. He swallowed, suddenly unsure he could do it. Oh, I'll, I'll kill you. Lyle put pressure on the trigger. Wait his father said, suddenly sounding perfectly clear. His face strained as he pulled himself to the forefront of his mind, holding back the wolf for a few extra seconds. Troy's eyes flashed from reddish black to a soft brown. 
Lyle recognized those eyes from the memories he'd been replaying all day. He recognized them from the restaurant, where they had glimmered with glee. He recognized them from that one terrible, fateful night, when they had glistened with sadness, but not tears. You need to know, son. You need to know. It's in you, too. All of our families, male, children... Troy's final words were swallowed by a crazed howl. Lyle saw his eyes blacken outward from the pupils. It was now or never. He squeezed the trigger. Two days later, Lyle fell to his knees on the forest floor. He had just tipped back the plastic water bottle he had been reusing for the past four years and found it empty. Now he was out of food and water, and there was no sign of a road anywhere. Perhaps that was a good thing. Maybe it was best for him to die out here, alone. His father's last words were haunting him. Even though Troy hadn't been able to finish, Lyle had heard enough. It made sense why his great-grandfather had built the cabin now, and why his grandfather had passed it to his father. They had all shared the curse. And now it was inside Lyle. Maybe it always had been. Maybe it had been growing up alongside him, waiting until it was mature enough to make its debut. And when would that be? Out of habit, Lyle tipped the water bottle back again, and again, nothing came out. He shouted angrily and tossed the empty bottle as far as he could throw it. The light plastic traveled an unsatisfying, short distance, and fell back to the ground with a dull plink. When would the wolf take over him? The next full moon? Next year? When he turned 13, 16, 20? He couldn't possibly know. And now, with his father laying dead back in the cabin, which Lyle wasn't certain he could even find again, he had no one to ask for answers. He still had the gun he had used to slay his father, his only remaining family member, strapped to his back. He slung it around front and held it in his hands. There were answers inside that gun, answers to all of Lyle's unrelenting questions. Would he find his way out of the woods? No need. Would he find food or water? No need. When would the change come? It doesn't ever have to. He thought of his mother laying on the kitchen floor with half a face. Would he do that to someone someday? Someone he loved? Never. This answer did not come from the gun. It was the internal voice of his resolve. He wouldn't, couldn't, let the beast live. It had to die with him. The curse or affliction or mutation or whatever it was had to die with him. Still kneeling, Lyle put the rifle barrel in his mouth. He couldn't look down to see the trigger, so he had to feel blindly for it. Moving quickly, he found the guard. He slipped his thumb in, but it went behind the trigger. For a second, Lyle was tempted to take the gun out of his mouth in order to see what his hands were doing, but he feared he might not work up the nerve to put it back in. He pulled his thumb out to try again. Whoa, hey, get that thing out of your mouth right this instant, a voice off to the right yelled. Lyle heard heavy footsteps running towards him. He spat out the barrel. Its bitter, metallic taste lingered on his tongue. The gun fell over, and Lyle fell beside it, heaving and sobbing uncontrollably. A shadow came over him, strong arms wrapped around him, lifting him, hugging him tightly. There now, kid, 
What are you doing way out here? Where are your parents? A comforting man's voice asked. Lyle couldn't answer. Come on back with me, the man said. Let's get you into town. We'll get you all cleaned up and see if we can't get you home. Water? Lyle asked, his voice a reedy whistle. He was amazed his eyes were able to produce any tears. Oh, of course, here. The man, who had gray hair and dressed like Lyle's father had, offered him a canteen and a friendly, if concerned, grin. Lyle sipped, then gulped over half of the canteen's contents. Then, the two of them walked away together. Shocked by his unexpected discovery of the boy in the woods, the man didn't think to take the fallen rifle with them. It lay there on the forest floor, loaded with the answers to Lyle's questions, as the two of them walked out of the woods, got into the man's truck, and drove into town. It's still there, rusting away. Time will soon expose the bullets, the answers, inside, to the world at large. And then, it will be too late. The answers will be lost, but the questions will remain for a long, long time. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.